This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's a show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is a retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. An interesting distinction to be made about Mississippians' relationships to wild turkeys is in the two different ways they're viewed. The first, as a large game bird to be hunted and the second as a beautiful animal to be observed by wildlife and bird watchers. Our guest today is Adam Butler, Wild Turkey Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and he'll talk about both relationships we have with these fascinating free-flying fowls. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. We always like to start out with you with a report of what you're seeing in your yard these days. Good morning, Kevin. Um, butterflies have started emerging, and I would like to uh, kind of challenge our our listeners to get out there and look for their first butterflies of the year. My first butterfly is usually a pearl crescent or an orange-tipped sulfur. We've talked about those each year. But the first thing I've seen this year is a red admiral, a gorgeous red admiral that had just emerged from its cocoon. So it was pretty beautiful the other day on, in that sunshine. Mm-hmm. I'm typically not a fan of an early spring in February <laughs> because I know that everything's going to bud out and then it's going to freeze. But I'm trying to be optimistic this year because these warm, sunny days have been enjoyable for yes, me. for sure. And uh, let's see, I, I did a little bit of participation in the Great Backyard Bird Count. I kept getting pulled away for other things you know imagine that when i can't just sit in the yard and bird but that was fun to do this is also the time of year in addition to butterflies coming out of course this is frog heaven mm-hmm. amphibians love because they they like cool nights and they want a lot of rain so um we're still getting my leopard frogs were still laughing even yesterday afternoon fairly early in the afternoon so everybody should be listening to frogs. And, of course, cool, wet weather is also great for fungus. Mm. That can be good or bad, but if you're looking for all kinds of interesting mushrooms, it's a good time to get out for that. I haven't seen my stinkhorns, and I usually see them, so I, I guess I need to go back on the, the trail. The trails have kind of changed around my house, so... um I don't know if I can identify the exact spots where I've seen them in the past, but I'll look for that. And then I have one other thing I need to plug. And last night I watched Nature, which I usually do, and saw Patrick and the Whale, which was – it was a great show. It was really – it was one of the the best nature – episodes I've seen in a long time. So I would say that's one that if you didn't watch last night and you have your passport, mm-hmm. uh, MPB whatever, passport? Script, yeah, yes. subscription mm-hmm. or whatever you would call it, part of your membership, you really need to go back and watch Patrick and the Whale. 
Very good. Good reminder that if uh, you are a supporter of MPB Think Radio uh, at the certain level, you do get access to MPB Passport and do access to a lot of the PBS and local MPB shows. So thank you, Libby, for that. Uh, glad you enjoyed that. But that's a good uh, one of the benefits of, of membership here at MPB. Yeah, I've, I've started using it a lot, really. I've, our Wi-Fi has become... I don't undependable in the country, you know, where we live. So um, I I rely on passport a lot. Uh, as always, Dr. Major joins us from his uh, clinic in Jackson. So, Dr. Major, we're talking turkey today. Uh, do you see many? I don't imagine you see many turkeys in the clinic. But uh, what about some maybe other types of birds? Do you see a lot of birds in your clinic? Oh gosh, looking back, I I have seen a turkey or two. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's I'm talking about birds now. But anyway, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, we see parrots, uh, uh, cockatoos, uh, small small pet birds, this sort of thing, and an occasional uh, chicken as well. Yeah, it's actually uh, Dr. Jimmy, who uh, hosts the Southern Remedy on Wednesday, was telling me a couple weeks ago that he has some uh, chickens in his yard. So um, that's interesting, though. Well, I guess that's good that a pet that could also maybe provide you with fresh eggs. That sounds like kind of an added bonus there. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people do uh, certainly consider the chickens as pets, uh, even though most of those people would not – take one and put it on the chopping block okay it's more of a pet and that's the way that's the way they want it eggs are a bonus you're right so do these birds have distinct personalities maybe much like uh, cats and dogs do in a flock of chickens uh i would say yes they do uh, of course your individual parrots and everything have their own personality chesters uh <clears throat> double yellowhead uh amazon he's been here at the clinic and I've had him for over 40 years, and uh, sometimes his personality is obnoxious. Other times he's very sweet. Uh, but, uh, yes, they develop personalities. And in a flock of chickens, let's say five or six chickens, there's going to be a dominant uh, a dominant uh, chicken, uh, and there will be others that just, you know, some of them have their own personalities. I'd have to say that you have to observe that to see. So when we talk about uh, birds like parrots, <clears throat> do they just naturally imitate what they hear? I mean, that, the, I mean, I guess you could train them to say things if you repeated, but normally are, if they're just in the environment, they're listening for things and they eventually mimic those back for, for whatever reason, I guess. Right. And, you know, Chester, for example, uh, he's heard a lot of stuff over the last 40 years, and he'll surprise you sometime, and he can speak in different uh, tones of voices as well. Uh, you know, his favorite thing, of course, is probably one a cracker when he wants a, <laughs> a special treat. Uh, he, he, he will say, hello, baby. And, uh, usually to a, uh, usually to a lady. And, uh, he, uh, he's very gregarious, I guess is what I'm saying. He, he likes people. Uh, he, he doesn't like to be handled much. But yes, they, they do pick that up. And some are more adept than others. Uh, they say that the African gray is one of the most adept at uh, speaking, uh, vocab- having a great vocabulary, and they will speak in different tones as well. I have an African gray at home, and he can bark, he can sneeze, he can cough, 
Uh, he can call the dogs, uh, which is frustrating to them. Uh, and, of course, his, one of his favorite things is no. And, of course, the dogs don't know because I may say that to the puppy sometime. You know, no, don't do this. And he'll, he'll pick up on that and he'll say it on his own. So, yes, they, African greys especially, according to research, uh, have knowledge of their vocabulary. In other words, they know what they're doing. And Chester, for example, even though he's here at the clinic, uh, he knows when it's time to, to leave the clinic. And he'll say, time to go. And usually that means uh, turning the lights off. Uh, and that's one thing that bird, bird owners should be aware of, that uh, the, the pet birds or caged birds do need a certain amount of nighttime or darkness uh, to have a healthy bird. Speaking of healthy birds, what would sing, uh, What are some things that bird owners uh, might be concerned about or things to look for in terms of maybe needing to uh, visit the vet? Gosh, that's, a, that's an interesting question because there are a lot of things. and Most of the birds stay quite healthy on a good diet and keeping them in a, a controlled climate, uh, even though a lot of the parrots do quite well in, I won't say freezing temperatures, but in cold weather as long as they have shelter from the wind, and I, I don't advise it, uh, but there are breeding colonies that uh, are kept in uh, probably where the temperature does get down in the 40s, but that's that's not the usual. But birds can have colds. They can have uh, uh, respiratory issues. Uh, they can uh, have some of the same things that dogs and cats can have as far as What's I say? Kidney, liver problems. Good diet and good care is probably the single best thing uh, as far as taking care of them. Keeping the uh, nails trimmed uh, helps. Uh, they should have that. And if a bird is going to be around the house, they should be restricted in flying because I've seen some injuries. Uh, for example, a ceiling fan is not a good thing if a bird is flying around the house. So... Uh, Common sense and taking care of birds goes a long way. And I guess maybe as a general rule of thumb for pet owners of all stripes is that if your pet is acting out of the ordinary, maybe give it a couple of days and see. But if some sort of you know unusual behavior like that continues, that would be the time to go ahead and, and visit your local vet. Right. For a bird that's uh, very vocal uh, and, you know, which I say, and likes attention and this sort of thing, and then all of a sudden is sitting on the perch and just not, uh, you know, interacting. Uh, you know that there's something wrong with that bird, and if that persists even 24 hours, uh, it may need to be looked at. Our colleague Liz Gill points out that uh, if you are interested in seeing the nature show that uh, Libby talked about in the first part of the show, Patrick and the Whale, and do not have an uh, MPB passport, you can still see it over MPB television. It'll air Thursday the 22nd at 3, and again Friday the 23rd at uh, 3 a.m. So it's 3 p.m. on Thursday, 3 a.m. on Friday. So if you're up early or maybe can't sleep, that might be something to uh, help you at, at 3 a.m. As I mentioned, our guest is Adam Butler. He's the Wild Turkey Program Coordinator at MDWFP. Adam, good to have you back on the, the uh, air with us. If you would, give us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to do the work that you do. 
Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm a I'm a wildlife biologist by training. Um, I'm I'm from here in Mississippi. Grew up uh, in Lawrence County and um, went to went to Mississippi State uh, and and got a wildlife degree there. They have a you know re- nationally recognized wildlife science program and then from there went uh, to the university of georgia for a couple of years and got a, a master's degree in the same field and did some work down in florida for a little bit and then ended up back here uh, with the agency uh, with the department of wildlife fisheries and parks as a as a biologist kind of specializing on turkeys and have kind of been doing that in, in in some capacity or another for you know about the last 15 16 years so what are some of the things that the Wild Turkey Program Coordinator does every day? <laughs> That's a good question. It, it, uh, it, it, it sort of varies with the season. One thing I really like about, uh, about my job and really a lot, of our, um, a lot of our jobs with the Department of Wildlife is it, it is something different every day. You know? um, so a lot of, uh, I, I guess, being someone who's focused on a particular species, a lot of what we do is, is involved with kind of monitoring, you could say, in, in some form or another. We keep a bunch of different we, – we have a bunch of different data sets that we we track to look at how turkey populations are doing in the state. You know, some of those are collected by ourselves. Some of those are coming uh, from from uh, hunters or other observers. And then we have, you know, since there are harvested game species, we've got survey stuff on all that kind of thing. Um, involved with research we partner a lot with uh since uh not not to keep harping on, on mississippi state because i'm a bulldog fan but, but they are the land grant university in the state that has the wildlife and fisheries program so we partner with them a lot and as an agency have a really uh unique and and kind of special relationship with them uh working on a lot of wildlife research and including stuff with turkeys um and then you know one of the really rewarding things that i get to do a lot of is meet with uh private landowners you know people again because there's such an interest in turkeys uh, because so many people are passionate about them you know because of the hunting and and all that um people people tend to get kind of enthralled with them and so a lot of people want to manage for for turkeys and and um manage their land and their habitats to to kind of better them and other wildlife so getting to you know do those kind of visits with property owners and help them you know talk through their goals and objectives and what they might do so it's 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 a little something different every day i i I do a lot of this sort of stuff too speaking and and um i remember you know back in school having to take like a a public speaking class and thinking it was it was a required course you know and thinking well i'm I'm gonna be a biologist i'm gonna be out in the woods i'll never need this and it's it's one of the uh great you know ironies of of my life i guess that i I was so wrong about that so but but it's good because people are you know, no matter the species, people are so interested in wildlife. I mean, you know, and and I think Mississippi especially, we just we mm-hmm. have a, a citizenry that really loves wildlife in the outdoors. So people want to know, you know, they want to know everything they can about it. So is it true that Ben Franklin was a big fan of the wild turkey? Is that story about him wanting that instead of the bald eagle? Is, is that a yeah, little bit urban myth know, that, in there? That, that gets th- that's thrown out there a lot. Uh, and I've done a little bit of reading on that. Um the best I can tell, he was being a little bit tongue in cheek about that. <laughs> that he 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 wasn't a serious advocate uh, for the wild turkey to be kind of the national emblem. Um, but it's not that crazy of a thing. There's one of the um, 
I forget what one of the Scandinavian countries, I can't remember if it's Norway or Finland, one of those has a capercaillie as their national emblem. And capercaillie is a it's a game bird over there, gallinaceous bird, very, you know, not not too distantly related turkeys. Kind of looks like a small turkey. And if you look at a lot of their uh, coins and stuff like that, they'll have that bird on there. So it's not the craziest of ideas. All right. So um, when it comes to wild turkeys in Mississippi, uh, what is the population like and how many different types of wild turkeys do we have here? Uh, that's a good question. Population-wise, um, our our most recent estimate is that we've got probably somewhere between 300 and 350,000 wild turkeys in the state. Uh, and that's... Um, that's actually up the last couple of years. The, the last two, three years have been really positive for us. Um, one of the things we track is sort of turkey reproduction every summer. We can, we're able to assess how the population did um, with their hatch every year. And the last couple of years have been really good. So we're actually on a little bit of an upswing. Um, more long term, there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of anxiety uh, around the southeastern United States about turkey populations potentially declining and things like that. Um, and you know if you if you take kind of a long view here going back maybe 30 years that may be true but the last little you know last couple of years have been much better for us so it's it's probably likely that they you know like a lot of wildlife species they they may cycle to some degree so we're we seem to be on a on a little bit of an upswing right now well that's a good point because a lot of times we have folks call in and say oh I haven't seen this bird or that creature whatever and I never thought about it but you make sen- it makes sense that as you point out these things naturally are cyclical, so the fact that you might not see uh, this, tur- you know, maybe wild turkeys this year, maybe next year, in the coming years, that might swing yeah, up. Yeah, what, what, really with turkeys, what you what you often see is they kind of have these pulses about every three, four, five years, where they their, their population is declining most of the time, and then they have a, a really good... Uh, reproductive year and they sort of have this pulse that just shoots them way up and they they're able to really overcome the losses of the last few years and then they kind of trickle down trickle down and then they have another pulse and and so you if you look at that those population trends long term you you do see sort of a up and down and up and down and up and down you know i'll point out too one of the benefits to being a, a game animal for animals i don't know if it's a benefit for them but it's interesting for us but they're studied so much like we know more about white-tailed deer and turkey than probably any two species in the state that are in black bear yeah. because and that, they're, that's, they're yeah, that is, that is yeah. true and and so that's 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 good because we learn a lot about them and i i'm i'm very proud of the fact that mississippi over the last you know 50 years has kind of been a, a national leader in wild turkey research there's a, a lot of really seminal things that were studied about that bird that happened here in mississippi um so that's that's something that we can all be proud of as mississippians but you're right a lot of game species um form a lot of some of the foundational knowledge for just wildlife biology in general that then the concepts and the theories that sort of come from that can translate over to other species but because of because hunter dollars and hunter license sales fund so much of the the wildlife conservation that that happens oftentimes it's the game species that are funding that research and then we learn some stuff that can be applied to other things too well i'm plug in public tv so much today but there is a fantastic documentary on is it you know about it too because we've talked about it i think it's called my life as a yeah, turkey yeah. or my year as a turkey yeah i, I like forget that. what the documentary is called the it's based on a book and the the book is called illumination in the flatwoods and this um 
the author is named Joe Hutto. He's a like a wildlife photographer professionally, and he he found I don't know I can't remember exactly how it all happened, but he he ends up with this clutch of, of wild turkey eggs that he hatches in an incubator. And then they imprint on him, just like a lot of a lot of those kind of precocial birds like that. They imprint on the you know on mama <laughs> right, right away. But he, but he he yeah. intentionally gets them to imprint on him, and then he just sort of takes them afield. And 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 the book is basically like a daily journal of kind of what they're doing and seeing, and it's fascinating. Um, you know, as somebody who's you know I've 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 been kind of enthralled with turkeys most all of my life, but reading that stuff and just the things that those birds came into the world knowing how to do, not having to be taught or shown or anything, it is unbelievable. You know, we hunters communicate with with um, mm-hmm. turkey, mm-hmm. I guess, for nefarious reasons, <laughs> but they do have a language. He found there's even a there's a different cluck for a poisonous snake than there is for. Yep. A non-venomous yep, snake. So mm-hmm. a venomous snake and a non-venomous snake, they will alert each other in a different way. Of course, it yeah, means that was what it, that, it's a that, very that was thing. particularly one of the things that yeah. I just really found fascinating in that thing that they would they would somehow know. He, he talked about you know uh, so avian predators are a big thing with them, especially when they're young. And he would talk about how even like planes flying over like way high, like 30,000 feet in the air, they perceive it as it being a bird of prey. And so they stop and watch the airplane fly over and just you know, freeze just as they would if it were a eagle or a hawk or something way up there high, you know. Adam, talk a little bit about uh, differences between wild turkeys and domestic turkeys. Yeah, so uh, dom- domestic turkeys came from wild turkeys. It shouldn't be a surprise, but it, it's a really uh, it, it's kind of one of these seven degrees of Kevin Bacon stories or something <laughs> like that. So um, the, the some of the native peoples in Central America uh, domesticated wild turkeys. Uh, a, 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 they domesticated a subspecies of wild turkey that now no longer exists in the wild. And um, so when the early Spanish explorers began coming over in, you know, say the, the 1500s, the very earliest, um, some of those conquistadors and the early explorers, they encountered these people that had domestic turkeys. And they thought, wow, these things are tasty and great. We're going to take them back to Europe with us. And they did. And so, you know, for several hundred years, that the a lot of the kind of what we would think of the heritage breeds and stuff like that were were bred in Europe, but they were coming from sort of Central uh, America. So the difference is, you know, the 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 domestic ones are obviously they're they're bred for you know producing a lot of uh, a, a lot of, of more meat. So they're they're typically going to be um, squattier and and bulkier. Uh, usually have uh, shorter legs in proportion to their overall body. Um, you know, a wild turkey is built for for survival you know every they're they're hunted by almost every predator out there so they they have really really um canny instincts and and they're sleek and and built for being able to get away from danger so um very you know it it, it's um you know you can think of them as as almost like a olympic athlete or something uh whereas a a, a domestic bird is is not going to be that athletic at is all a couch potato maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might be a good way to describe it yeah 
Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and our guest for this hour is Adam Butler from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're going to be talking wild turkeys throughout the hour, but also Dr. Major stays on the line if you have a pet question. And as I say, if you've uh, been out and about recently and want to report on something you've seen out in nature, we'd like to hear those reports as well. In fact, we do have a caller on the line from Meridian. We'll say good morning to Andrew. Andrew, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Oh, oh, well, yes, sir. I, I, I was calling to ask about the differences between uh, the domestic and the wild. You know, I was trying to answer my question while I was on hold. But did y'all know a turkey can run faster, way faster than fly? Well, I don't, I don't know that for sure, but I, oh, yeah. I, they definitely, uh, they definitely can run fast and and they're, you know, they're not really built for for fast flight. You know, their their wings are in proportion to their body relatively short. You know, they're built more for kind of maneuvering flight than than really fast flight. But they definitely can run fast. Oh, I, I live out Warren, way out in Warren County. When uh, this was back in the seventies, we had a flock of peacocks in a pen, and they had gotten loose. And for like five, between like five to seven years, everybody going hunting would say they would still see those flocks of peacocks out there. <laughs> I've actually heard that before, where, where uh, peacocks go or, yeah. or peafowl, any of them, go kind of feral and take up with turkeys. That's, I've, I've heard multiple stories of that yeah. over the years. Love y'all show. Thank y'all. There's a zoo in Monroe, Louisiana, I think, which is actually a fairly good zoo. I went to a couple years ago. And they let the peacocks just kind of roam around un caged it was a little bit disconcerting because you know they're kind of a large bird there but uh <laughs> i was not attacked by one so that's good oh and they can make a terrible scream well you know the thing then this is just a quick tangent they had i think they're howler monkeys or something there were some sort of monkey creature in the thing and those things <laughs> would just go off on this god-awful screeching thing and it was funny because in the parking lot coming into the zoo you're like what is that and then when you get in there you're like oh i see what that is but they were quite loud so uh back to turkeys um so what uh, um uh, something andrew said kind of uh, oh i know what it was you had mentioned that they're everybody's prey is why why does everybody pick on the turkey i guess is my question well um <laughs> that's a big, that's a big question. That's a complicated question. Um, I, you know, they they are just they're a prey species. So I mean, you know, any all different sorts of predators, you know, are, are trying to make a living, and and turkeys are one of those things that get preyed upon. Um, they they really, as adults, there's only a few things are in, in our part of the world that are, are a real threat to them. Um, bobcats are are probably the main most predator of adult turkeys um but they can also you know get eaten by other things great horned owls um so the biggest owl species we have little tufts on its head um they get they get some of them and then coyotes and fox will get a few uh especially hens when they're nesting um but when uh, the 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 nesting part of the sort of the life cycle is when the when predation is ex- really extreme so the the females when they begin nesting in the spring uh, usually about 70% of those nests are going to get eaten by something. Wow. Um, and, and then of the ones that hatch, uh, so that they're, they're a precocial bird, which means they're able to immediately, you know, follow mama and feed themselves just like, like a chicken or a duck. And so they're just, they're, they're essentially little, little puff balls, little chicken, <laughs> you know, little fuzzy, fuzzy chicken nuggets for the first couple of weeks of their life. And, and in the, those few weeks, it's not, 
uncommon at all to see like 80% of the, of the little poults um, get killed by something. And so um, they, t- they suffer extreme losses during that, you know, during that period of their life cycle. Um, and then, you know, if they, if they can get to be a few months old, their odds of survival go, go up pretty good. Because like I said, at, for a game bird, uh, their adult survival is relatively high for a game bird. Uh, that's you know that's that's still kind of relative. They still you're still going to lose about half of them every year. But you know for other game birds it's a lot worse. Yeah. Did we mention their ground nesting? That's part. Yeah. Of so the, that's, that's that's the big, big thing. Part yeah, of it. yeah. I, I guess I, I yeah. neglected to, to make that clear that they they nest on the ground. So they have to spend um, about a month, uh, twenty eight days or so, sitting on the ground incubating those eggs, um, which is kind of in the bird world that's kind of a primitive way of doing it. Uh, but it 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 sets them up for a lot of those losses everything's everything's trolling around looking for for something to eat and that's you know a nest full of turkey eggs is a great meal for a lot of predators so maybe the phrase sitting duck should have been sitting turkey maybe. Who knows? <laughs> that's good. it yeah. kind of applies to both there <laughs> yeah i've uh, got a couple callers on the line let's start on the phone lines again in raymond jesse has called in today good morning jesse you're on the air with us hey well it's a game bird and it's a ground nesting game bird but it's bob white quail Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a pair in my yard in Raymond. I, I live pretty near downtown last year. I haven't seen them since, which makes me think they were escapees because from what I hear, bobwhite are almost endangered in Mississippi. I mean, what's their status? What's threatening them? And how can I encourage habitat? What, what kind of habitat can I maintain? To, sure. You know, so so bobwhite, are, uh, they, they're a very close second for me uh, to the wild turkey. I have a really special place in my heart for bobwhite. Um, they, you know, yes, that their numbers have declined uh, dramatically, not just in Mississippi, but across all of their range uh, over the last half century or so, but primarily because of habitat loss, the types of habitat habitat that that bobwhite quail need are, are pretty limited on the landscape now but in places where people are specifically managing for quail they can actually produce a, a lot of quail that so there's some cases of that uh don't know what to say about the ones uh that you saw very you know it could have been they were you know some uh, an, an escapees but I, I also tend to think there are there are more bobwhites out there than people appreciate and that's not to say that they're common but they're not they're not endangered, and and so if you you know if you're anywhere near a, a you know a, a cutover or an old field with a lot of broom sage, um, any of those kind of places, it's probably pretty likely there is some quail hanging around that. So that could be the case. I don't I don't ever hear them anymore at my house. Well, occasionally I might hear one that far away, but mm-hmm. very seldom ever hear them. Yeah, anymore. I mean it they're was not something we were so used to. Right, right, and and you know they're not. They're not a, a species you're going to find if you're in the if you're not in the right sort of habitat. So that's that's um, from my perception. Like if you if you're in a place that looks like a quail should be there, a lot of times they are there. It's just that those places are kind of few and far between. All right, uh, Jesse. Thanks for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Going to go to Jackson next. Janet is on the line. Good morning, Jan- Janet. It's your turn. So go ahead. Good morning. Uh, it's Jeanette, and I live in Farm Haven. Um, I do have a question. I'll get off the line so you can talk. Um, I was just wondering, and you were talking about habitat for the um, Bob White. What, uh, what is the prime habitat and landscape for the wild turkey? Yeah, great question. So I, I often like to say turkeys are almost like two different species because they they 
what they prefer most of the year are not the places that they're going to nest and raise their young. So most of the year, um, we're coming out of winter right now, so especially right now, they really like being in in older age woods typically, uh, but or at least timber you know woods with 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 open understories where they can see where they don't feel constricted um you know a lot of times they're really in in the fall and winter they're heavily associated with with uh bottomland hardwood timber because of the oak mast and stuff like that but also because they you know they're they're getting hunted by all sorts of predators so they like being in places where they can use their eyesight to see a long way to detect danger so most of the year they're in really open woods or open fields during that time of the year when they're nesting and raising their young them they like being in in sort of thickets they like to to nest in areas because they're nesting on the ground they want to nest in a place where they can kind of be hidden by vines and briars and other sort of vegetation they at that time of the year they're actually using habitats that are very similar uh, to what bobwhite quail use. And so uh, with turkeys, we run into a lot of the same problem with quail in that, that that time period of their life cycle that's really, really critical, the nesting and the raising of the young, the reproductive side, uh, time frame, uh, they're relying on habitats that can be kind of limited on the landscape. So a lot of what we do with habitat management is trying to provide those sort of, sort of places. Um, so most of the year they're living in big, wide-open woods, but during the time of the year when they're nesting and raising their young, they're usually going to be kind of around um, thickets or, or some sort of scrubby sort of cover or uh, old weedy fields and stuff like that. Is that going to be mostly spring? Yeah, so they, they begin nesting um, early to mid-April usually, and then, and then you know, that kind of runs through about June. Um, what is the diet of a wild turkey? They eat nearly everything. Uh, so they're, you know, they're 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 not a meat eater, obviously, but almost any sort of plant matter they're going to eat. Um, like I said, a- acorns and other hard mass are are uh, really critical during the winter time. They focus on that store stuff a lot. So um, all, all the different oak species, um, beech when when beech uh, makes um, all sorts of other different things. Um, they eat insects a lot, so during the, the spring and summer uh, especially, they'll eat a lot of insects and then uh, a lot of the sort of the soft mass, so, you know, black cherry or mulberry or things like that that fruit at different times of the year. Um, so their their diet is, is pretty varied, um, and it sort of shifts throughout the year uh, as different things become available. And uh, do we find wild turkeys in, in all parts of Mississippi? Not exactly. So the Delta, um, there's there's really good populations of, of turkeys along the Mississippi River, um, behind the le- the river levee. So, so over there, you 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 look at a big long ribbon of hardwood timber that you know extends from um, Memphis all the way down to Vicksburg, and that area has a lot of turkeys. The interior part of the Delta does not have very many turkeys, and that's because it's really not very heavily forested. Um, if you drive through the Delta, you don't see many trees. You know, turkeys need woods, and most of the woods in the Delta that you do see are usually associated with some sort of old, you know, slough or other really wet area, Oxbow Lake or something like that, and so just not turkey habitat. So uh, they're they're found, you know, elsewhere in the state, almost throughout the state. Now that their their numbers are going to vary from place to place depending on 
how good the habitat might be in a local area. Um, but the kind of the interior part of the delta is just sort of the one place where you're, you're probably not going to see a turkey. Uh, more turkey discussion in just a minute, but uh, Libby, you wanted to mention, I think, purple martins, you were saying? Yeah, purple martins are arriving in the state. I've had several people mention it and read a couple posts online. That purple mar- So if you've got purple martin houses, you need to get the... The house is cleaned out because sometimes they only come by once is what I hear. So clean up your Purple Martin houses and get them ready and get your binoculars ready for um, checking your, your birds. I know a lot of people keep up. They try to find the first day every year. What was my first day for Purple Martin? So look for those. And then, of course, hummingbirds will be following Oh, we got a couple months probably before we start seeing too very many. I don't know. By the end of March, sometimes there are a few early hummingbirds. So I'm, you know, I'm a very avid turkey hunter myself, but I'm also a, a uh, I'm a pretty serious birder. And one mm-hmm. of the really neat things about our spring turkey season here is that it coincides with the bird migration. And so, you know, when you're if you're turkey hunting, you're you're waking up early and you're getting out there right at daylight because that's when the turkeys are gobbling. But it's so neat because there's each each species of, of migratory songbird, you know, kind of comes in on schedule. And, and as our spring progresses and you're out there turkey hunting, you know, each day it's almost like there's a new suite of, of birds, of, of songbirds that are showing up. And I've, I always think that's so cool. Every good turkey hunter I know is a really good birder, too. And I, maybe that does yeah. always go together. It's the, yeah. A lot of times with uh, – our our uh, turkey season here opens on March fifteenth, and and usually the only like neotropical songbirds we'll have coming through at that time are the ones that are going really really far north. Like they're like you'll hear uh, always hear veeries then, and that's one that they're going all the way up into Canada, you know. But you'll hear them trickling through right at the very beginning of our our spring turkey season. Um, so Adam, I think you mentioned <clears throat> earlier that the wild turkeys are a little slimmer and trimmer than uh, than domesticated turkeys. But other than that, do they kind of look the same? Uh, well, in some cases, yes. Some cases, no. So if you're talking domestic turkeys, you know, there's a whole bunch of different varieties that all you know look. You know, they they have different colorations and things like that, and can look very differently. Um, so uh, there's a few of those that that somewhat closely resemble uh, a wild turkey but a lot of times you know the domestic varieties are going to have colorations that that would be very uncommon in the wild ones Uh, so you know wild turkeys the males are usually going to be from a distance they're all going to appear very dark the males are um, their feathers are black but they're really iridescent and so depending on how the light strikes them they can be an orange or a green or a golden um, and then the females, you know, going again, going back to them having to sit on the nest for 28 days, they're they're more uh, dull and, and uh, brownish colored, so they'll blend in with the understory a little bit more. And then you had mentioned um, how a lot of the eggs and then even the small turkeys kind of don't make it. So do they lay a lot of eggs at each? I mean, what a clutch is that? Sure, yeah. So they t- that, that's that's basically their strategy. So they they're gonna they're gonna lose a lot to predators. So their strategy for success is to uh, put a lot of eggs in one basket. To pardon the pun, they uh, they usually will have um, ten to twelve eggs uh, in in one clutch. And um, oftentimes, if that clutch gets eaten, they'll they will renest uh, within the same season. So they they. Um, you know, they, they put a lot of effort into trying to have a, a lot of young 
a lot of babies at once when they do have them. And so that's that's why you're that, like I like I described kind of in the beginning of the show. That's why with turkeys, what you see is most of the time their populations are not doing well. They're kind of declining, and then for whatever reason, they get a year where just kind of everything lines up perfectly, and because they have this high potential mm-hmm. reproductive output when they get everything lined up perfectly they get this huge pulse basically and and they get a lot of young on the ground at one time and then that's that's sort of able to sustain their population for a few years and it sort of trickles and trickles and trickles and then they you know a few years later they're going to get another big pulse and that's is, like you say you just see this sort of up and down oscillation with their numbers is this supposed to be a good year it is That's like like I, I said again. We um in we are some of the data we keep shows that the last two three years have been much better than kind of the decade prior to that. So this everybody's uh, everybody's seeing a lot of turkeys, and all this winter I got a lot of texts and phone calls, people out in the woods and just seeing a lot of turkeys, and people are seeing them where they haven't seen them in years and that sort of thing. So we're this is a is a good good time right now. So one of the interesting things to me about nature is that some animals tend to, when they're, you know, kick the young out very early, others tend to be little family units, I guess you could say. What about wild turkeys? How, where do they fit in? Well, the, the, the girls sort of form a family unit that stays together. The, the boys get kicked out. Um, <laughs> so the, the, when the female hen hatches off the clutch, you know, they're going to be mi- mixed sex. They're going to, you know, roughly 50-50 males to females. And... Um, Usually that that group, she, she, the mama hen, will usually join with another mother or two, and they're young uh, by the end of the summer, so that you'll have a few adults with a whole bunch of young kind of running together as a much bigger flock, and that flock stays together going into the winter, and then sometime uh, early or kind of late fall, midwinter, oftentimes, but not always, the male young will kind of form their own group and go their separate ways now that doesn't always happen even you know into the springtime there'll sometimes be some of the male young still hanging out but usually they you know the the juvenile males sort of they they decide they don't want to be around their sisters i guess i don't know what they decide but they they go their own way a lot of times and I know that some animals have kind of interesting mating rituals. Uh, anything that the turkeys do to attract uh, their mate? Oh, absolutely. So they have uh, an extremely elaborate displays, you know, and um, both the vocalizations, the gobbling, you know, that's 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 done just to attract females from a distance and then up close the turkeys do a lot of you know they puff their feathers up and strut which people you know familiar with kind of the the picture of the old thanksgiving turkey you know but that's that puffing up and and showing their fanning out their tail and and all that sort of thing is done just to impress the females for uh for mating and then they what what a lot of listeners may not know if they haven't been around them up close they make another audible sound it's called uh drumming which is really really interesting it's a very deep deep hum that they make while they're strutting uh to kind of be a you know further impress the females um so you did mention uh, turkey hunting season if we have any turkey hunters out there we've got about a minute left if you could maybe give us the details on on turkey hunting season yeah so our our spring turkey hunting season uh runs march the 15th to may the 1st um we have a youth season for for hunters that are under the age of 16 that opens march the 8th um if you decide to take that up, you, you'll need, um, you know, a, a proper license, which for residents is, is typically just an all-game license or a sportsman's license will do. 
Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a great way to get out and enjoy the spring woods. And I always like to remind people, because I think it's great, but what does part of the money from the hunting license go into? All the money goes into to conservation. Yep. So our, our agency, the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, we're funded by hunter license dollars. So all the different conservation work that we do, uh, which benefits not just game species, but non-game species too, it's all funded by hunters. All right. Great show. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of MPB Think Radio. Uh, If you want to hear today's show or previous show, one way you can find it is to search for Creature Comforts on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show is produced and engineered by Abram Nanny. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Adam Butler, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.